Hello and welcome to Nature Snippets, a podcast about the natural world, about organisms you may find in your backyard and beyond. I'm Declan McCabe, coming to you from St. Michael's College in Colchester, Vermont. Welcome back, folks. Today we're going to talk about an insect that lives above the snow right through the winter. This may sound bizarre and remarkable, but if you bear with me, you will see that it is in fact possible and that you can find these insects year-round. So I wrote this essay a while back for Northern Woodlands, and it's called Goldenrod Golf Balls. A few Thanksgivings ago, my then 10-year-old daughter and I went for an afternoon stroll. Unseasonably warm weather made for a longer-than-planned walk through a power line right away and on down through steeply wooded sloping woods to the Winooski River. As we moved through the tall scrub, Lauren's interest was drawn to golf ball-sized swellings on the desiccated goldenrod stalks. As usual, she had many really good questions. What were these woody spheres on dead plants? Why did some have holes in them? And what did they look like inside? So we pocketed a few and continued our walk. The soft, silty riverbank was peppered with footprints left by raccoons, herons, skunks, and deer that prompted more questions. By sunset, we had made it through the Muddy Brook natural area and back out onto the gravel road, with our catch of the day firmly in our pockets until we went home for dinner. The spheres we collected were goldenrod ball galls. A gall forms when, in spring, a fly lays a single egg into the growing goldenrod stalk. These flies are picky. They lay their eggs only on three of the many goldenrod species growing in our region. Once a larva emerges, it burrows to the center of the still-growing stalk. The plant responds by thickening its stem to grotesque proportions, often ten times the original diameter. For a human scale, imagine growing a basketball around your wrist. The hungry larva fattens up on plant material inside its spherical castle and excavates a small chamber in the center. It also digs a tunnel towards the surface of the gall, stopping just shy of the outside world. Once that work is complete and the time is right, the larva transforms radically to form a pupa. Months later, assuming the larva did its tunneling job well, the adult fly will break through to emerge and complete its life cycle by laying eggs in new goldenrod plants. Breaking through is quite the process, The fly actually needs to inflate a portion of its head to pop out the little trapdoor that was left behind by its former self when it was a larva. So, a careful snip with pruning shears provides a window into the strange world of goldenrod galls. My St. Michael's College students and I trek out to gather hundreds of them each spring. We learn that galls quite frequently are invaded by other species. Parasitic wasps insert their eggs through the thick protective wall. The hatchling wasp larva consumes the fly and makes use of its former home until its own spring emergence. There's a predatory beetle that follows a similar pattern. Wasps and beetles tend to favor smaller galls that they can penetrate more readily. Birds also get into the act by consuming both the goldenrod gall fly and the larvae of their wasp and beetle usurpers. You can tell the crisp chiseled hole in the gall left by a woodpecker from the untidy mess left by a chickadee. My students and I find what biologists have found before. Birds more often attack larger galls. Perhaps they are easier to find or to perch on, 
or perhaps it's the promise of a meteor morsel in a season of slim pickings. Despite the waves of attackers, more than enough flies survive to found the next generation. They hatch in the spring from their galls on dead goldenrod stalks as the next year's plant sprouts below. In the lab, we experiment by warming galls and playing tricks on the day length to stimulate an early spring. While most of our hatchlings are flies, we also hatch some beetles and wasps. Fewer galls kept in the dark hatch, and those kept in the freezer never hatch. So it's pretty clear that there's a seasonal influence of both temperature and light, both of which we can manipulate in incubators at St. Michael's College. While it might seem that the thick galls would insulate the flies from winter extremes, their true survival mechanism is far more interesting. Insulation works when there is heat to conserve, but tiny larvae and pupae with slow metabolisms don't generate very much warmth. Instead, goldenrod gall flies rely on antifreeze properties of their tissues to prevent ice crystal formation that would otherwise rupture their cells. Whether their galls are exposed to the air or insulated in the snow, they can survive the coldest New England weather. When my daughter and I opened our pocketed galls, we found larvae in more than half of them, and in most cases they were fly larvae. It made for some interesting observations of mobile spherical legless larvae after apple cider and pie. They do look a little bit like Jabba the Hutt, if you've ever seen that. Whether for a classroom, an educational stroll, or as winter foodstuff for hungry birds, goldenrod galls have a fascinating story to tell. Now, if you've played with these galls, as I have for a few years, you may have read some of the older lab manuals that are out there, and they usually suggest that you take a ruler and measure, or take a string and wrap it around the gall to measure, and you take a razor blade to open them, and honestly... As someone who's worked with a lot of students for a lot of years, I try really hard to avoid using the first aid kit and razor blades with round wooden objects that you're supposed to cut seems like a really bad idea. So I really encourage you to use pruning shears. You can eliminate the need for a cutting board. You can eliminate the need for razor blades and you can eliminate the use of your first aid kit. So that's what I would suggest for that. For measuring them, what we found is you can purchase circle templates which are designed for drawing circles of different sizes for people like me who can't draw a circle freehand to save their lives. That's what they're designed for, but um, what we do is we simply move along the template millimeter by millimeter, there's larger and larger holes until you find a hole that the gall will fit through. And so we use these drawing templates to measure the galls which makes for a much better data set than wrapping string around them and trying not to stretch the string and all that kind of thing. So what we do is we measure hundreds of them and we use histograms then to compare the distribution of the entire data set to the distribution of galls that have been attacked by birds or comparing them to the distribution of galls that have been attacked by insects. And that way you can actually look at sort of the before natural selection distribution of call sizes, and you can compare it to the after natural selection size because you've still got the damaged calls, which represent, you know, the entire population represents before selection, and the ones that have survived and are actually fly larvae represents the population after selection. So I won't tell you what you'll find because you might not find the same answer that we find because it does vary from place to place, and that is why we do science. It's exciting to have something that you can measure with your students or with your kids or whoever 
and you don't know the answer until you actually make the measurements. So that's the joy of doing what we do as scientists, and it is also something joyful you can do as an educator. So have fun with the goals. Now is a good time of year to do it, but you can do it as late as April, and you could even get last year's goals in the summer if you are handy with digging around in the vegetation. So there we go, Goldenrod Galls. Thank you once again for tuning in. Nature Snippets is recorded in the Media Creation Studio at St. Michael's College with technical support from Patrick Bohan and his student intern, Peyton Edwards. That's all for today, folks. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts. This is a bi-weekly podcast, so you can expect a new episode every other Friday. Thank you once again for listening.